Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. The NFL season, it's only a couple of weeks left in the regular season, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. And from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the pod. Here with me today is play-by-play man and sportsbroadcastsolutions.com. He is Kyle Smith. How are you, Kyle? I'm pretty good, Joey. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for joining the pod. Uh, brought you on today. We're going to maybe tip into a couple different sports, uh, Chicago sports aspects. But let's start first with college football. I'll admit, I'm not a huge college football maven, so maybe you can help myself and the betting Chicago audiences get a little bit more detail on Lovey Smith out at U of I, no longer the coach of Illinois football. Your thoughts on the move and maybe what you think could perhaps be in the future for Lovey Smith moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is Lovey Smith's last hurrah. I would be very shocked if he got back into the coaching arena because of how much he has struggled since leaving the Bears. And honestly, he didn't really get much of a fair shot with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you remember, they started off really bad. That was the Mike Glennon team. Um, they were 2-14. and 14. Also, Josh McCown was on that team. Um, and then they actually moved the next year 5-11. <laughs> And uh, then they fired him for Dirk Cutter, and we all know how uh, much of a joke Dirk Cutter was with Tampa Bay. So it's hard to say if Lovey could have really changed the direction of Tampa Bay. But, you know, they have Bruce Arians now, and it's kind of working, although I don't think it's going to officially work out with Tom Brady. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if he retired after the year. But I'm not going to go down that tangent. You asked me about Lovey Smith. It just didn't work in Illinois. And they brought him in. The main reason they brought him in is because Tim Beckham – there was a lot of problems happening, not just with football, but with him yelling at the kids and off the field issues. He just, he was, it wasn't a good fit. So they had to fire Beckham. They bring in Lovey Smith to try, try to change the culture around at U of I. And he kind of did it, but they just weren't winning football games. And not only were they not winning football games, there were times when they were down over 40 to nothing. I think last year they lost by over 60 points in one of their games. It was just absolutely terrible. I don't have their schedule in front of me, but it was so bad. It got to a point where they were one in 18 against ranked opponents. And the average deficit of what they lost by was over 25 points. So it was basically four touchdowns every time they played a rank appointment. And me personally, I love Lovey Smith, but it just didn't work at U of I. And they gave him plenty of time. Honestly, they probably should have fired him last year. And it also had to do with monetary problems, which is why Jim Harbaugh hasn't been fired yet. He's on his last year in his deal in Michigan, so this is probably it for him because he only has one more year after um, next season. But Lovey, they gave him five years. It just didn't work out. The future, if he wants to be a head coach again, it would probably be at a mid-major school, but that would be such a step down from being, quite honestly, the second-best head coach the Bears have had since Mike Ditka. So why would he want to take a job at Florida Atlantic or Tulsa? He just wouldn't want to do that. So unless an NFL team is desperate for a defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith would do it. There might even be a team that's desperate enough for a head coach, insert the Jets here, although I think they've kind of learned from Adam Gase. 
he's really old now. I mean, it's been a long time since the Bears went to the Super Bowl back in 2006, 2007. So I just don't see him wanting to take a mid-major job. And I just don't see a major Division I program bringing in Lovey Smith after how tough it was for him to win at Illinois. And I get it that U of I, it's a tough place to recruit for, for generations years. There's nothing to do there. It's not by the beach. It's not in a major city of Illinois. It's tough for him to get recruits, but 17 and 39, it was just time for a change. And you mentioned, you know, Lovey Smith's possible future in the NFL. You know, Rod Marinelli, you know, he just took over as a defensive coordinator. He's still working in the NFL. I don't see him in the head coach capacity, very similar to what you're saying, but perhaps a defensive coordinator, you know, maybe he goes back, becomes like a secondary, you know, defensive backs coach somewhere, maybe gets another job. Let me ask you this, though. Let's stick with U of I. Kyle, if you could go into a lab and, you know, you could put on your white coat and your pencil and you can get it all out, if you could construct what you think the next U of I head coach is going to look like, you know, maybe without naming names because it's a little bit early. There are some, a few things already being trickled down. You know, the Wisconsin coach, you know, Melzahn just got fired. You know, who knows? That's a pie in the sky, right? What do you want to see from this program with U of I moving on? Because clearly, you know, Lovey brought the X's and O's, but it didn't seem like he was able to bring, you know, the recruiting within the state of Illinois. You know, what has U of I got to do moving forward to out-recruit Northwestern? You know, you think about millennials, what we are, and then before that, uh, Generation Xers people change drastically from generations. I don't really know Generation Zers, but from what, you know, I work in talent acquisition too, and I recruit for them for younger people. They don't like to be in cold environments. They don't like to be not in a major city. So you're already behind the eight ball at Champaign-Urbana. Champagne, so the city of dreams. It's, it's a bright, beautiful city, light. Yeah, so. it's, it's, no, it's not. It, it's a nice... <laughs> college town but for generation zers like let's say you're a five-star recruit from the middle of florida okay and you have the choice between sitting on the bench for a couple years at the university of florida or being a true freshman at the university of illinois what are you going to pick i guess some would want to be a true freshman at u of i there's just nothing to really do there that's appealing for generation zers but let's let's take that out of the equation you also have a program that's not used to winning. You think of Illinois playing in a major bowl game when they had Kurt Kittner in the Sugar Bowl. This was a way back in the in the past. This it's was like all right. I love that you're pulling it back, though. You got the Rose Bowl with Juice Williams, got absolutely trounced. The only good point of that game was Richard Mendenhall. Like, why would you want to do that if you're a five-star recruit to play in, like, maybe the Outback Bowl? And that's a stretch. Like, the Outback Bowl is cool, but it's not the college football playoff. It's not the Fiesta Bowl. It's not the Rose Bowl. It's very hard for Illinois to get five-star recruits. The other problem is it is an academically hard institution. It's not as hard as Notre Dame or Northwestern, but it, it's not like going to Iowa. There are more academic requirements to go to U of I to be a student at. So a 2.5 will get you into Iowa. If you want to go to U of I, 2.6, 2.75. It's a little bit harder to be a student at the U of I. You think of all of these problems and you don't even bring in the, you don't even bring in the coach that will bring in X and X's and O's to the program. They're just so behind the eight ball. That being said, if Illinois wanted to give Gus Melzahn and Jim Harbaugh a shot, if they wanted to fork up the dough to do it, I think U of I would be back to winning. But I think that's the only shot you bring in a head coach from like Kent state, Toledo, et cetera. 
They've tried that before with Beckham. It didn't work. You have to bring in a five-star coach, so to speak, to U of I. But the other problem is, does, does that coach even want to do it for less than $5 million a year? I don't think so. So does U of I want to fork up the dough? They're already paying Lovey because they fired him. Or does U of I just care about getting butts in those seats? Let's say we have 50%, 75% capacity a year from now with the vaccine in place. Do they just want to win some football games, like eight, nine games, go to a nice bowl game like the Sun Bowl or something, and just get people excited about U of I? If so, I don't think you need a Jim Harbaugh or Gus Mails on candidate. But if you're looking to say, we want to compete with Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern, et cetera, then yeah, you're going to have to bring in a Gus Malzahn type of head coach. And you'll have to open up the checkbook too, because I'm sure those types of coaches, they're going to have plenty of suitors. So what's a great way to make it more attractive, perhaps with the money? I want to ask you a question about another coach that has his pedigree, uh, the arrows pointing up, I should say, Northwestern's coach, Pat Fitzgerald. How much do you buy in? Are you buying or selling Pat Fitzgerald as a fit, perhaps in the NFL moving forward in the future? Because I know with the disarray going on with the Chicago Bears, his name has been thrown around. Could you see that for him? Or does that feel a little bit more like, you know, just looking in your backyard, home cooking, of looking at options as Bears fans? You know, here's the problem with Pat Fitzgerald. And we're going to find out on Saturday. Because I don't think they're going to get trounced by Ohio State. I think they're going to make it a game. The problem with Pat Fitzgerald, he wins these nice games. He gets Northwestern into the Big Ten Championship game. He did it a couple years ago with Clayton Thorson, that quarterback, right? Then they got trounced by Ohio State. Is that really a guy you want on your NFL franchise? In the NFL, either you win or lose. As, as Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And with Pat Fitzgerald, he wins games, but he's not getting you to the college football play. And a lot, a lot of that has to do with he can't get the recruits per se. But when he plays these top programs, you know, you've seen over the years, they just get trounced by Ohio State most of the time, Michigan sometimes. And without that real pedigree of, you know, every blue moon, they can win. Now, if Chris Peterson hadn't retired from head coaching, I think that would have made a little bit more sense because Chris Peterson could prove when he was at Boise State, regardless of the recruits, he found ways to win games. And then the NFL, you're not always going to have those players like, Look at what's going to happen with the Houston Texans right now with no draft picks. You need a guy in there, no matter what, if I have the quarterback, I'm going to win. And I don't know if Pat Fitzgerald is that guy per se, because he had that guy in Clayton Thorson. He's had that guy in Dan Persa before he went down, um, Kafka. And they won some games, but they didn't win the big ones. And that's really a question mark that NFL franchises have to consider when they bring this guy in to be a head coach, I think it would be an excellent offensive coordinator to start off in the NFL, but does Pat Fitzgerald really want to leave his alma mater for an offensive coordinator position? No, it's probably head coach or nothing. And that's something these franchises, that's what they should think about. Now, if you're the Jets, they're just like, Oh, okay. Adam Gase, he was kind of an okay head coach in Miami. We'll bring him in. And that's been an absolute, absolute disaster. So there's franchises that don't, you know, do the vetting and the problem and the, the really important talent acquisition process. And then there's really good franchises like the Packers and the Steelers, and they really try to vet these candidates. So your question is, is would Pat Fitzgerald be a good fit for the NFL? I don't know. It's always hit or miss with college coaches going into the NFL. For every good Jimmy Johnson story, there's the Nick Saban debacle. In terms of would he want to do it? I think so, but it would have to be the right fit. And he would have to consider 
what's the future of this franchise look like for the next three, four, or five years? And look, I love Pat Fitzgerald, but and I don't want to mean this in a derogatory way, but I'm in agreement with you, I think, where I just think he has a really great situation right now that I think he probably should not leave. I think being the head coach for the Northwestern Wildcats is his spot, as you mentioned, his alma mater. So maybe Bears fans just need to calm down just a little bit, whether you think he's going to be running up and down House Hall, running the show, whether exactly it will be a total success or not, is a little bit more dicey for me. Let's pivot over to the NFL. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears, 36-7 win over the Houston Texans in Week 14. Their season, mathematically, they are still alive for the playoffs right now. Oh, they're still very much in it. Very much alive. I'd love to get your thoughts based on a performance that honestly was, I think all around was the best performance of the Chicago Bears all year. Probably the best performance of the last year and a half to maybe the Cowboys of the 2019 game all the way back then. You know, how do you handicap these next three games for the Chicago Bears? And are you, you know, tentatively optimistic that, you know, if they win Minnesota, they can maybe sort of get into the situation where week 17 they're playing for something? I mean, sure, anything's possible. But at the same time, the Texans are no good. They're, they're no bueno. 36-7, uh, it's a very nice win for the Bears, but this is a Texans team – I mean, I don't know if you watched the Colts game a couple of weeks ago. They couldn't even snap the shotgun to uh, Deshaun Watson. They were inside the 10. All they had to do was get it past the goal line, and they would have upset the Colts. I mean, this franchise is in complete disarray right now. That being said, you still got to play the games, and the Bears won 36-7. So it's an important win, but I just feel like too little, too late. Where was this three weeks ago? They could easily beat Minnesota. I still like Kirk Cousins, but you know what? he's so hit or miss in these big games and he's been so bad against the bears. In fact, that game they won on Monday night, that had more to do with Nick Foles not getting the job done versus Kirk Cousins winning it. So if Trubisky does okay and they win in Minnesota, they'd be seven and seven. They should be Jacksonville. If they lose that game, no matter what, even if they Shame made the playoffs at eight and eight, if they lose to Jacksonville, even if they snuck into the playoffs at eight and eight, that's it for Matt Nagy. If Mike so, Lennon beats Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky to end our playoff hopes, I don't know what I'm going to do. I well, might have I did to take the, a few well, days off. Yeah, I haven't. You know, it's such a, a give-me game that on NFL playoffs machine, I didn't even, like, consider them losing to Jacksonville. So I don't know the tiebreaker between Minnesota, Arizona, and Chicago if they both – if they all finished 8-8. Eight eight. That's a give-me game. They got to win that one. If they lose that one – they would have to go into the playoffs eight and eight and win a playoff game to even consider bringing that Maggie back. But just, just in short, can they win out? Sure. Would that preserve Matt Nagy's job? Maybe depending how they did in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, I mean, this has been such a bad offense. They still haven't scored a touchdown in the third quarter in like five weeks. Are you saying you want to bring this guy back? That was supposed to be an offensive guru, but you know, I need to be a good Bears fan. I want them to win, but the, at the end of the day, if they win three games and get trounced in the first round and it costs them a chance at drafting Mac Jones in the first round, that's going to hurt. And that's what it sounds like. It, I mean, the writing was on the wall even after, what, they lost five in a row. Everyone was like, yeah, clean house. They lost six in a row. Shit got a lot worse, right? Even when you blow a 10-point lead to the Lions, you can still salvage this season and have it feel like it goes off on the right note, but it sounds like you're trending towards change. So that my question for you is, you know, Matt Nagy's out. It sounds like you're on board with, you know, Ryan Pace 
maybe even team president Ted Phillips, you're talking a full up top to bottom clean house situation. Is that something that you would probably prefer to see? Not what you think what will happen, but if you were in that seat owning the Chicago Bears, that's what you would do? I never thought change would happen to the Bolts. I always hate to make that analogy of different sports, but if it can happen to the Bulls where John Paxson was Jerry Reinsdorf's guy and because of the pandemic, everything was magnetized and scrutinized because it's all on TV and we can't go to the games. Reinsdorf was like, no, no more Gar Foreman, no more John Paxson. And I think the Bears are the same thing, especially this year because nobody's been allowed to go to the games from week one. So you have this product that is not fun to watch on TV and you have a couple of weeks where they win, like 36-7 to 7 against Houston. But most of the time, it's cringeworthy offense, by far the worst in the NFL. So if you're Virginia McCaskey and George McCaskey, mostly George because Virginia's 98 years old, but if you're George McCaskey and you look at this product on the field and you're like, we like Ted Phillips. He's a nice guy. He's not getting it done. We have to demote him and bring somebody in that knows scouting. And I'm talking about both the intangibles, you know, the gut feeling on players, and also the analytics, like football outsiders and pro football focused stuff. You need to bring in a combination guy or maybe multiple guys, like Billy Bean's done with the Oakland Athletics. You look at the Bears right now, it's not a fun product to watch. Me personally, I don't like people getting fired, but Ted Phillips has proved for years and years he can't put a consistently good product on the field. Ryan Pace, Leonard Floyd, Kevin White, Mitch Trubisky, it just didn't work. They went to the playoffs one year, the double doink, but that's basically it. So if they made the playoffs this year, that's great. It's just too little, too late. I don't know how you bring Ryan Pace back. And the other problem with Ryan Pace, he wasn't a GM in New Orleans. He was the assistant GM. And he was part of a system where the Saints were always winning with a franchise quarterback. He never really had to deal with adversity besides trying to fix the defense. So he's never really been in this position of just starting from ground zero, and he tried it with the Bears. It kind of worked, but didn't really. So do you want to bring that guy back? And Matt Nagy, if they won out and won a playoff game on the road, it would be hard to fire him. But at the same time, I mean, this is a team that's been outscored, I don't know, 150 to 10 in the third quarter. I mean, once halftime comes, the other team makes the adjustment, and Matt Nagy just, he's got that Denny's thing that he's looking at for plays, and he doesn't know what's going on. So. I don't know how you can bring Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and Ted Phillips back, but I could understand the Bears, the way they do things. They like Ted Phillips. I could still see Ted Phillips in a role, but anything's possible during this pandemic because if the Bulls can do it and Reinsdorf got rid of Paxson and brought in Arturis, anything's possible for the Bears. But if you fire Matt Nagy and you fire Ryan Pace and you demote Ted Phillips or even fire Ted Phillips, you better, you better be able to analyze What's the best solution and not just do the really cool, oh, let's just give Peyton Manning a shot. No, you have to make sure Peyton Manning is the right fit for your executive vice president of football operations. And someone that's going to buy in for not just a couple of years, but man, 10 to 15 years. I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge, huge long-term, you know, guy that you're bringing in to run the entire show. You brought up a really great point about Ryan Pace. And this one always makes me laugh is they'll always say, like you said, Ryan Pace is assistant GM. You know, they'll always, and they put on Phil Emery too as well, where we hired Phil Emery and they were like, yeah, he helped draft Roddy White. Ryan Pace helped draft Michael Thomas. It doesn't exactly connect it where Ryan Pace was the guy who like 
scouted Michael Thomas and said, you know, banged his, his fist on the table and was like, you got to take this guy. He was just in a room with a collection of other people that came to the conclusion that this is how, this is the guy that we're going to draft. It wasn't exactly the dude that he found. So sometimes you're wondering if that was the collection of pieces and the dude's just in the room maybe profiting off of that in a way that does help him get a promotion in his next job. I do want to ask you, because uh, I know you're going to have a great perspective on this, quarterbacks. You talked about Mac Jones. So I think it's fair to say Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields will not be on the board when the Bears select, whenever that is, whether it's 15th, whether it's 20th, and maybe a little bit uh, deeper if we, if we can play in that fantasy scenario that they go to the playoffs. But of all the guys that are going to come out, you know, you got Trey Lance, Ben Hurt, pretty good tape. Zach, uh, you know, Zach Wilson, tons of great numbers. Last couple of weeks have been a little choppy. Kyle Trask, a dude, you know, do you like that offensive scheme? A little statuesque. Mac Jones, as you mentioned, Alabama quarterbacks never get any respect. Give me one guy that you're looking at right now and you're like, man, if I got an opportunity to draft him outside of Fields and Lawrence, I, I would like to see him on the Bears. In a dream scenario, I'd love to see Dak Prescott on the Bears, but I don't, <laughs> I don't see that happening. Although there was a really interesting article that was written by, um, God, I forget his name. He works for WGN Radio, and he talked about a potential Khalil Mack versus Dak Prescott swap. But when I looked, I've, when I've looked at Khalil Mack's numbers on Pro Football Focus, PFF loves this guy, and they're paid a lot of money to do this. Chris Collinsworth is an investor with them. If PFF rates Khalil Mack that highly, I know on the stat sheet it's not there. I think you've got to give Khalil Mack one more year. But if you're not confident in Mack Jones, Kyle Trask, I would entertain the idea of a one-for-one swap of Khalil Mack for Dak Prescott. But if you can't do that, I just don't know how you can go against Mack Jones. I get it. He's got Devontae, and he's got Jalen Waddell, wide receiver, and he's got that offensive line, and he's got Nick Saban, and he's got that running game. But you just look at his numbers. I mean, they're so phenomenal. I mean, you can, you can argue that he's more important to that offense right now than Tua was. I mean, they're unstoppable. They're just absolutely demolishing Texas A&M. We haven't seen Florida yet. I don't think that's going to be close. I think they're going to demolish Florida. I could be wrong. But they've just absolutely dominated these teams. And there's times when he's throwing five touchdowns and only four incompletions. I get it. He's not that athletic. But if you can get that ball out quick and you have a scheme that works for the quarterback and you have wide receivers that can get open quick and you find speedy guys, I think it would work with Mac Jones. Trask is kind of the same way, not that athletic, but a great arm, great pocket presence. At the end of the day, the Bears have to think, do we want to have a system where any quarterback can thrive? Or do we want to draft a quarterback that can get the ball out quick and then we'll get offensive linemen that can protect them. Because here's the thing. When you have a quarterback in the pocket, even if you have talented offensive linemen, if he's struggling to get that ball out, there's going to be struggles. So if you can get a quarterback that can get that ball out quick, you're going to be fine. And Mac Jones is excellent at that. Um, but then again, if you could find a way to get Trey Lance or Zach Wilson, I would entertain the idea. But it's hard to go against the guy who's definitely going to win the Heisman. Um, if he's available and at pick number 16 in the first round. His numbers are just eye-popping. Holy cow, it's pretty incredible, and that's a great perspective. You know, I've talked to some people that like Zach Wilson a whole lot. I've talked to people that like Kyle Trask a whole lot. It seems like that they're all going to be kind of bunched together a little bit in that area, and it's going to depend a little bit a lot on where the Bears draft, and that's probably a conversation for another day, but I wanted to get your insight on it. Kyle, we're going to get you out of here on this. Give me one holiday 
Christmas wish. If you could just make one wish for one of your Chicago sports franchises, you can pick anyone for 2021. What would that wish be? <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of them that I want. I mean, I want the – here's what sucks about being a Bears fan right now. You want them to go to the playoffs. And you want the pick to get a quarterback? <laughs> but Yeah. It, like, there could be a team – like, let's say San Francisco doesn't want Garoppolo anymore. I mean, this could be a draft where five quarterbacks could take in. So if they go to the playoffs, that could hurt their chances of getting Mac Jones. And Kyle Trask, I like him. I just don't love him. But, yeah, I'd love to see the Bears in the playoffs. And I hate to be mean, but if it doesn't work out with Tony La Russa this year, I would love to see him fired at the end of 2021. I think this is going to be an absolute disaster with La Russa. And I know I'm playing the, the game of pessimistic Peter here. But this is a guy that has drinking problems. He's 77 years old, and he hasn't managed since 2011. And when he was in the front office with the Angels and the Diamondbacks, it didn't really go so well. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But and, I and wait, like if if I can interject, you know, elaborate. When you say disaster, White Sox fans, super talented team, went to the playoffs last year, lost in the first round. When you say disaster, what does that exactly look like for you in the standings? You know, is that a frustrating team? Is that a team that is under 500? You know, what are, what are you thinking? I'm thinking because this team went to the playoffs last year, if they lose in the first round with all that talent and you bring in Lance Lynn and they're still looking at Trevor Bauer, with all this talent, if they don't make it to the American League Championship Series, that is a failure, especially when you consider the other candidates that they had on the board, including A.J. Hinch. And they could have even considered what, what I wanted them to do was consider doing a trade and buying him out of his Marlins contract, Don Mattingly. They had all these options, and they bring in a 77-year-old manager because he used to manage the White Sox, and Reinsdorf feels bad that Hawk fired him. The whole thing's weird. And then you, you, this DUI that happened in February, he's had multiple DUIs. I don't see it working. And as much as I love Tony La Russa, if they don't make a deep run in the playoffs, you just got to cut bait and start again with another manager in 2022. So long story short, I want the bears to make the playoffs and I want them to fire Tony. If it doesn't work out in 2021. Yeah, it's funny. Mine's almost exactly the same. My Christmas wish was, I hope the white Sox win a world series in the next two years. So Tony can just retire. <laughs> you know what I mean? If the white Sox can, can win the world series in 2022, then yeah, it's obviously a success. And yeah, LaRusso can, can uh, hang it up at age 79. Um, I just, I don't know. I have a lot of doubts about this working. And I just feel like Jerry played the loyalty card over the who's the best candidate card. So at the worst, at the worst time too. I mean, if you wanted to right the wrongs and like, you know, figure out a way to like make amends with someone, why don't you just do that before you hired Robin Ventura, dude? I mean, obviously, because Tony yeah, wasn't interested, and now the team is really talented, and now that actually interests at Tony Larusa, and now it all kind of comes together. I'm with you. It feels weird. I hope it's one of those off-season things that we're overstating a little bit, where you're just thinking about him, and like everyone on the team is just like laughing and having a great time in the locker room, and he walks through, and it all gets silent. You know, I can already feel that sort of picture in my head, and I'm just hoping that he just he brings something from you know that that little detail side that maybe helps let get this team to the next level but i'm with you if it doesn't work out they need to bail 
immediately. It's not like the dude's getting any younger. So if it's not working, you got to move on. Yeah, and I just don't think if, if they're not going to the American League Championship Series, another first-round exit, I just don't know why you would want to bring him back, especially if players complain that they can't buy into what he's selling because he's so old and you're trying to get generations' ears to believe in a guy who's basically a baby boomer. So I, I just don't see it working, but maybe I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, I just – if they don't make a deep run in the playoffs, I want Tony fired after 2021 because it's just a waste of time. And Lance Lynn's not getting any younger, and Dallas Keuchel's not getting any younger. Your window is now, and if you're not winning, you have to bring another guy. And by winning, I'm talking about pennants and World Series. Division titles, they're nice, but you've already won one. Well, they, they almost did, and they, they struggled down the stretch in 2020. But winning a division title isn't the same as getting to the World Series. If you're not getting to the World Series with La Russa, you have to cut bait after 2021. Completely agree, and got my fingers crossed that that wish comes true in 2021. Kyle Smith, thank you so much for joining. SportsBroadcastSolutions.com. You can find him. Also, I've listened to some of your play-by-play, my friend. Excellent work. Super talented dude. Had a great time talking to you, and hopefully we can do it again. Yeah, man. It's uh, it's, it's always nice to talk to a fellow Chicago fan out in L.A. So, uh, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Let's go Bears on Sunday, and if they lose on Sunday, they might as well just lose out and go 6-10, and 10 because I, I'm going to be so pissed if they lose to Minnesota on Sunday, find their way at like 8-8, eight and eight, and then they lose the tiebreaker, and they basically just wasted a couple of games when they could have, you know, had a 6-10 and 10 record and a better draft position. So if they lose on Sunday, just lose out and finish at 6-10. and 10. That's my mindset. So many scenarios to play out with only three games left to play. We'll see how it shakes out. Today's episode of Believe in Betting Chicago is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head to BetOnline.ag for Week 15's NFL action. Hope you guys can make a little coin. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Thank you so much for listening to the pod today. We'll be back with more content the rest of this weekend, next week, into the holidays. So make sure you check that out. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.